Here they come! Welcome to episode 22 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the dropship from Aliens. I must be allowed to speak. Hello Andrew. Ah, uh, you're right. <laughs> I am now. Uh, yeah, no, no, that, that's that's the special edition. What happened just then? Um, right, okay, Andrew. Um, first question for you: uh, Where were you in 1986, and did you see this film in the cinema? Yeah, definitely. Um, I went with a bunch of friends uh, down to the local Odeon, and so we were there. I think it was the first showing. I think that was back in the day, though, when you know they didn't do any kind of special previews on Thursday nights or Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights like they're getting to now. It was literally Friday morning. <laughs> uh, you know, probably like eleven thirty was the earliest show I think we could get to. Um, one thing I do remember is about halfway through, I needed to go to the loo, and I thought, no way am I leaving this cinema. <laughs> so I think by the end of this film, I had the fullest bladder you could probably ever, you know, imagine. I hate that. I hate, I hate, <laughs> I hate that when you're, and it's always a film that you don't want to miss one second, isn't it? Exactly. So I think, you know, yeah, it was just like, you know, first, first person out to the loo at the end of this, but uh, yeah, I thought, no way am I missing any of this. Uh, I think... The, the one thing I do remember, I was saying this to a mate in the pub the other week, is uh, I had a friend who lived over from my mum and dad's, and he used to get the American newspapers uh, for the American football. And I always remember him knocking on the door one evening, and he said, oh, yeah, I've brought this over. And it was the clipping of the first review from one of these American newspapers. And I remember, I, I said to him, I've still got it in a little folder somewhere. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh, I liked it, you know. Um, you know, I was really, really sort of pleased that, you know, the first review I read was like somebody really praising it. Um, because this is obviously the days before being able to just log onto the internet and yeah. listen to reviews, you know, this was, and then probably the next review over here was probably Starburst or Film Review, one of those magazines. So, you know, it was very difficult to get any sort of feedback and just this one positive review really spurred me to sort of think, oh, great, you know, I'm glad somebody's liked it. Um, you know, and because I'd obviously seen stills of it in Starlog magazine, and thought, yeah, it's looking good, it's looking good. And again, it was a handful of stills, and you know what magazines were like back then. You just got the same stills in pretty much every magazine. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Excellent. Do you want to hear my story? Go on. It's a bit of an epic. Um, do you need a toilet break or anything like that first? <laughs> no, no, no. Right, here we go. I, I, I apologise to any uh, listeners who want to hear about the dropship, but this is my story, okay? Right, um, in the middle 80s, um, I used to go up to Forbidden Planet, you know, like uh, in London once or twice a week, and there was a guy I, I was quite friendly with who worked in Forbidden Planet, um, quite a famous guy, I, I think, by the name of Alan Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was, at the time, he was film reviewer for Starburst magazine. That's right, yeah. And, yeah, I used to just stand at the counter when it was quiet, and we used to natter about this, that, and the other. And um, every so often, he'd give me uh, free tickets to press screenings, okay? So uh, I got to see, like, Robocop ages before it came out. Edward Scissorhands, I think, you know, I think he gave us about, like, four tickets, and it was... a I think it was like nearly a year before it came out here in the UK, you know. But he gave me two tickets to see Aliens, okay, uh, yeah. uh, um, at this advanced screening at Leicester Square, and uh, which is great. Looking forward to it. Looked into it, and it was an evening screening. And uh, the problem with it was I phoned up, um, I think it was the Odeon Leicester Square, and I phoned up and I said, what, what time is it going to finish? And they were like, oh, 10.30. OK, and me and my friend, we were going to go up by bus. OK, yeah, uh, to London to see it. And the last bus back to where we lived was at like 11 o'clock. 
Okay. Right. So the film finished at 10.30 and we had to get across London in like, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. Okay. Mm. So I, w I was a bit worried about this, but hey, we're going to go and see this film. And on the day, um, I, g I got the paper in the morning and there, there had been a press screen in the day before and it was in all the papers and they had the APC. The actual APC was there in Leicester Square. They had a lot of the costumes there and a lot of the props there. And I phoned my friend and it's like, take your camera. We've got to go and, um, you, you, you know, take all these photos, you see. So we went up in the afternoon. We went round the comic shops. We did all our usual things, Forbidden Planet, all the comic shops, you see. Ha had some tea. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. Greetings, dear listener. I'm interrupting myself because when I listened back to this recording, I realized that I'd missed out a part of the story. And that was that when we went to London... Um, we went round to Leicester Square because we had our cameras and we wanted to take some close-up photos of the APC and the costumes and the props and, and just see them in the flesh. And we were rather disappointed when we got there to find that they had all gone. They had obviously been put in there the day before just for the press screening and they were gone. So a bit disappointed, um, but it didn't matter because we were still going to be seeing the film later on. Okay, on with the story. We now return control of your television set to you. Went to see the film, blown away by it. We'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, blown away by the uh, by the film. But I'm looking at my watch, okay, and I'm thinking, mm. oh my god, we've got we, we, we've got to get across London. We've got to get across London. As soon as the as soon as the credits started, okay, it's like I, I turned to my friend. It's like right, we've got to go. So we legged it and we legged it out the cinema, down Charing Cross Road, past Trafalgar Square. Um, down to Charing Cross uh, Station, down the side road there to the Embankment Underground Station, running down, running down. My friend's going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so he, he, he wasn't in the best shape. And he's like, I'll call my dad, I'll call my dad. He can come and collect us. It's like, now come on, we can do this. Running down the underground um, escalators, got down onto the platform. The train was literally just about to pull out. The doors are closing and we yeah. <laughs> jumped in, got onto the, got, got onto the train. <sighs> <laughs> it's okay. Go off to Victoria, get out, and we have to leg it round from 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 the underground station round to the bus. The bus is there. It was just about to pull out as well. It's like wait, 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 wait. And we got on the bus, collapsed into our seats, and it's like oh my god, thank God for that. We've made it. We've made it. You know, and we're yeah. j j just sweating buckets and everything. <laughs> the bus goes off, and it's like oh, thank God for that. We've seen the film, fantastic film, and the bus goes on. And it goes down through Piccadilly Circus. Right. And Piccadilly Circus at that time, right where Eros is, you had Tower Records. Okay. Yeah, on the, on the corner, wasn't That's it? That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we drove past it, all the costumes are in the window of right. Tower Records. But we hadn't gone there that day. So we didn't know where they were there. So we kind of like, what, 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 what? <laughs> uh -huh. as, we, as we drive past it, it's like, but we... But 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 anyway, didn't matter. We'd seen the film. Doesn't matter. We've made it. And then just as we're thinking, oh, that was a shame and everything. The bus stops in Trafalgar Square. Right. And it's like we didn't know the bus was going to stop here. And then people who had seen the film got on the bus. Oh. Yeah. So we had travelled across London to catch a bus, which then took us back to the very place we had been. Yeah. You know. Me. So every time now when I watch Aliens, I think of this mad rush to catch a bus that took us back to the very place yeah. where we oh. saw the flaming film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, that, 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 that's, that, that's my story of uh, when I saw it. Right. And, and, and I think that was about two days, two or three days before it came out in the cinema. Um, okay. And I watched it that night. I, I, I think I finished at five on the day it opened and I watched it that night and I sat in a row and another memory I've got of that is um, sitting in there watching the film and you know the bit where Reese looks at the face hugger in the in the um, yeah in um, the, the stasis sort of tube that's thing. right yeah, and Ripley yeah. says be careful when he looks and it and it and it uh, bumps against the glass there 
yeah. I was I, I knew that was coming because as you say it's before the internet no nothing had got out about what happens in this film and I knew that bit was coming and I always remember about when that bit happened everybody jumped back so much the whole row moved backwards all the seats moved backwards and I fell back with them you know? <laughs> <laughs> I always remember that one as well I'm just looking here and it, it actually opened in the US on the 14th of July, um, mm. which was the premiere. And then it opened in the UK on the 29th of August. Mm. So it wasn't too long to wait. It wasn't like one of these Star Wars situations where it opened in May and then it opened in December here type thing. You know, it, it, it's very strange. I mean, we're talking now and, you know, Alien Covenant has been out for like, what, three days. But it's, yeah. it's not out for another like, you know, six days in America. This seems to happen more and more that... England seems to be getting the films before America now, isn't it? Yeah, and what what gets me is I was only in HMV yesterday, and they've already got the little card up saying, you know, reserve your copy of Alien Covenant <laughs> on Blu-ray. You know, you think, what? You know, I, I remember when we used to have to wait 18 months for it to show up on yeah, VHS. Yeah. You know? I was in HMV today as well, and I saw the very thing. Every, everything's, wherever you look now, there's, there's Alien and Alien stuff, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right, so uh, that's enough waffle, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> let, 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 let's get into the dropship. So um, we're going to talk about the dropship in both its incarnations at the beginning of the film where it takes the uh, Marines down to the planet and at the end when it makes its uh, ill-fated return. So uh, right. let's go off and uh, have the first clip. Okay. Stand by 10 seconds. Stand by to initiate release sequencer. On my mark. Five. We're on express elevator to hell. Going down. Two. One. Mark. Switch to DCS ranging. 240, nominal to profile. We're in the pipe, five by five. Okay, uh, prior to the launch of uh, the dropship, we've got the full-size one in the hangar, yeah. um, which looks great. And looking at it, I, I was thinking, and I've, I've got a question for you here, Andrew. Uh, hangers in science fiction, okay? Mm. I, I was trying to think of, of, of hangers in science fiction that actually look convincing. Right. Okay. And and this one here, I think, looks really good. I but the only one other ones I can think of are the hangar in the original Star Wars, you know, on on Yavin Four. Yeah. Uh, the Hoth one. Okay. Yeah. In Empire which is, Strikes which is, Back, which is fantastic. Yeah. But apart from that, I was trying to think of all the ones that you see in Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, different versions. For some reason, they never look real. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's just something about the one in Aliens, which just, I mean, it just looks authentic, doesn't it? It's, mm. there's, you know, it, you, you never see a full shot of the actual full-size one. I think it's always just the nose comb, but it's just the combination of the miniature work just makes you think it, it's the full-size thing. It's just so, so well done. And I think a lot of the time it, 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 it's down to lighting as well. Um, yeah. This came up in the Battlestar Galactica um, episode in that you've got very si similar angles of shots um, in the original Star Wars of like the X-Wings. And then you see in Battlestar Galactica, you've got the, the, the Vipers. And I think it's something to do with the lighting or something. In one way, it can sell it. In one way, it can't. What, what works so well is they've got those um, rotating lights, those mm. things in the cylinders, and I think it's the fact that when you cut to the miniature shots, they've got the scaled-down versions, and it's that visual cue of those lights mm. that I think sort of helps marry the two sort of sequences together. And, um, you know, I always... I, I think there is sort of certain shots of the miniature where, you know, you, it's very hard to sort of tell which is... The full size and which is the miniature i mm. think it works so well it does it, it, it certainly does um i mean when you see the apc uh moving up to you know reverse into the dropship, yeah. if you didn't have gorman there yeah you would be hard pressed to tell whether that was a um actual yeah you, you know full size or if that was miniature you know yeah definitely 
And it's just, again, when it cuts to uh, Ferro in the cockpit, again, you've still got the, the, the this thing of the flashing light kind of got traveling mm. across. So it's just all of those nice connections. There's not, there's nothing yeah. um, to sort of distract you from it all. And um, I mean, you know, you know yourself that that APC apparently weighed an absolute ton, didn't it? I mean, mm. it was, I think they stripped so many tons off it, it still weighed a lot. So there was no yeah. way they could probably drove a real one up the ramp and lifted it with hydraulics because it was so heavy. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. The, yeah, the miniature shots are just spot on. Yeah, talking about Gorman there, you know, when the APC does move up to go in, um, another thing, you know, Gorman, he's standing there and he does this thing with his finger. He 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 revolves his finger around to show the driver, you know, you've got to turn. I still yeah. do this to that day, to, to the day, you know, whenever you know a, a truck is reversing or something, I still do that. <laughs> Yeah. We think with my finger, and I think of Gorman every yeah. time. <laughs> and, w- and one thing we do get to see, which um, I don't think many people picked up at the time in the cinema, is when we see like a really nice side shot of uh, the cockpit with Ferrell, we get to see that bug stomper kind yeah. of sticker. And, I was, uh, was going to mention that in, in behind the scenes. Yeah, we, we, we do get to see that, which, uh, you know, at the time at the cinema, you know, I never really noticed it because you're too busy focusing on different details, aren't you? But the thing is, I mean, um, you know, before um, we recorded today, I, I watched some of the making ofs on the Blu-ray, and you see Ron Cobb there, bless him, and uh, he says about how he designed this, you know, the, the, the bug stomper um, nose art, and he says, oh, you only see it for a fraction of a second. But no, you do actually do see it on the full-size one. You you, you do yeah. get clear views of, um, you know, Pharaoh in the cockpit, and it is quite uh, clear there, you know? Yeah, and, you know, it... It, there's just something about the look of the dropship as well. It's got that. It, it feels real world. You know, mm. I think you could actually sort of believe that that's like a real thing. It's it's not too sci-fi. It, it just feels like it could be a real vehicle. Maybe that's what's going on then, because as I say, with you know Battlestar Galactica or the Gal- Galileo shuttle in Star Trek or whatever, because it's science fiction, you're removed from it because it's not yeah. real world. But yeah. because you know they were harking back so much, you know, to the um, uh, the Vietnam aesthetic on the looks yeah. of their hardware, where maybe you know it is registering that this could be conceivable and this could be real, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, the Marines load into the old APC. There, we get a lot of the old um, gung ho BS, you know, especially from Hudson. You know, bless yeah. him. <laughs> um, and what I love about this sequence, especially, is is the drum beat music. You know, uh, as we get the first door opening and, you know, you've got Pharaoh saying about hitting the internals. Um, reminds me an awful lot of a theme park ride. You know, yeah. this thing, this, this, it's not tension, but, you know, it's ratcheting up. You know, something's just about to happen, you know? Yeah. It's it's the fact that, you know, they are literally kind of getting sort of catapulted in a way. It's not like it's just opening bay doors and it's flying out gracefully. It's, it's, it is literally dropping, isn't it? You know, and. Um, that, that's what's good about it. It's, it. It is that sort of tension behind yeah. it. It's like it's spring loaded and it's going to get fired out. Yeah, and it, it, it is that, um, that 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 old saying of um, show don't tell. You know that they're just about to go. Nobody's saying about the process about how they're going to go. Uh, they're yeah. just showing you, and you're in, inferring from what you're seeing what's just about to happen. You know, and especially when the outer door opens um, and you see the planet below them and. Even now, you know, watching it now, that, that that's quite a vertigo-inducing moment, especially, you, you, you know, for me. You, you look at that and it's like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. a long way up. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't really explain, like, how far up. The, I, I would assume that sort of, like, you know, there, there is sufficient distance that the gravity of the planet is part, kind of partly what pulls the ship down. Mm. You know, if they were just in space, the ship wouldn't really drop. No, it would just hang there. Yeah, yeah, you, you would assume that they're sort of almost in high atmosphere. You know, they're at that sort of point where, yeah, as soon as it does, it, it, the gravity of the planet will pull the ship down. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a throwback to our episode we did with Silent Running, um, mm. where we were talking about the original, you know, Sid Mead design of Solarco was effectively a ball, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, if they are in the high atmosphere, that couldn't have gone through the high atmosphere. If you've got a blade shape of the Solarco that we're seeing here, yeah. um, it could go into the high atmosphere and therefore, you know, the gravity could mm. take hold. Yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem to be kind of fired down by anything in the slack. It just seems like... No, it just drops. <laughs> yeah, the clamps are released and then it's dropping like a stone. Off it goes. Yeah, we have the countdown and off it goes. And it, it falls away. And I love the way that the camera... It pans the 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 camera that the, the ship falls towards the camera, yeah. falls past the camera, and the camera pans as the ship passes, and then the engines light, don't they? Yeah, and this is sort of like in the entire sort of sequence, the first sort of motion control shot, isn't it? You know, it's like That's right. it, uh, everything else up to this point has been sort of real world miniatures, and now suddenly we're into the motion control side of things with the miniatures. Um, and yeah, it's a great shot because it just tracks right past the camera, um, and then, like I said, you, you're off. Yeah. Um, and then you're down into the clouds. This is where, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm being hypercritical, but when you see the dropship going through the clouds, it you can quite clearly see a lot of the mat lines there, can't you? There's one shot where the yeah, it is composited in, and you do obviously see... I think the clouds were made out of the fibre fill, so the kind of camera's tracking through. But then you you just then jump to the kind of the old school Jerry Anderson type of shot, don't mm. you, where you've got yeah. the, real, the real miniature with the smoke and stuff getting blasted past it. But I think what is the weak element is certainly uh, the composite work in, that, in the sequence. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is an issue of uh, time or money or what. Um, it wasn't a, 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 an issue of you know effort or enthusiasm. You know they yeah. were certainly giving their all, weren't they? Yeah, I think again it's just probably the technology at the time. Um, you know, if if the same shot now could be taken and recomposited digitally, if they could actually get the original blue screen elements and recomp it digitally, it would probably look better. Um, you know, than the uh, optical composite work. Um, but you know, it's, it's it is literally one or two shots, which yeah. you know, it's it's not like a whole sequence. I, I I don't think it really warrants a George Lucas style, you know, special no, edition no. where they go in and they tweak everything, do they? No, definitely not. No. Anyway, uh, the 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 weapon pods open and uh, we're coming round for a seven zero niner. I love all the dialogue in this scene. I love it. I, I, yeah. I, I yeah, yeah, you know, we're in the pipe five by five and, and and all this stuff. I haven't got a clue what it means, but it sounds cool. Yeah, Cameron's one of those people. I think he can write nonsense dialogue and get the <laughs> actors to deliver it and make it sound fantastic. But like you said, when you listen to it, you know, uh, you, you sometimes think, what does that actually mean? Yeah, what you does know? coming round for a seven zero niner? Actually, yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah, I've never, you know. I've never come round for a seven zero niner. You know, it's the the graphics as well. You know, like the sort of uh, the the vector sort of graphics of the landscape. Um, I, I really like those. What Pharaoh's watching. Mm. You know, it's it's nothing too high tech, but obviously she can read those graphics as to what. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. And again, we're grounding it in the real world still, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's one thing um, I did pick up on though, which um, it's in the extended cut in this sequence, where in the the original cut, um, Hicks is actually asleep during all of this drop. Mm. He's, he decided to have a bit of a nap, uh, and we do see him asleep. But in the extended cut, you've got the sequence where uh, Hudson's spouting off about how great they are and how good the weapons. How are. they got the nukes and everything. Yeah, but yeah. you can see that Hicks is actually blatantly wide awake during some of this dialogue. Oh, really? Yeah, he's oh, actually... I noticed that. Yeah, you can see him sort of behind um, uh, Hudson sort of listening in. But then it will cut back to Ripley and then cut back to uh, Hicks and he'll be, fa be fast asleep again. <laughs> and it's obviously, you know, that sequence originally wasn't in the, the, uh, the theatrical cuts. But uh, right, when right. Edited back in, yeah, if, if you watch it and you just look out in the background, it is a bit distracting that, yeah, Michael Bain is actually awake. Um, All right. in, in several of the shots where he should be asleep. Well, um, I, I think I prefer the version where Hicks is asleep and Hudson isn't spouting all the stuff, really. Yeah, it makes the, Hicks that much cooler, doesn't it? The special edition is... It's one of those things... Certain certain bits work and certain bits don't. It's, it's, you know, if you could almost do your own cut and leave certain bits in, certain bits out, you know, and that that's one of the bits, yeah, it wasn't really needed. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the, because it's not showing and telling; it's telling and showing, isn't it? You know, yeah. he's explaining that we've got all these weapons, and you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
anyway, the dropship, it passes the processing plant and the colony um, sets down and then dusts off. Mm. Um, I think we'll, we'll discuss more of that on behind the scenes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. So uh, let's go into the second clip. Right. Okay. We're going to see the uh, dropship again just after the Hicks and Co. They've, they, they've set the flares um, by the APC, and we've got the whole move it Spunkmire from Ferrow line, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, and he r- runs up the ramp and puts his hand in something suspicious, which we all know what it is, but he doesn't. <laughs> I wonder what they actually used for that. Do you think that's Swarfiga or something like that? Is, is it called Methicil or something, I think? Is I it? Reading. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. But All right. It, 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 it's nothing off the shelf. No, I can't remember. It might be an American product or an American brand name for the product. I'm not too sure. But, okay. uh, yeah. I think it's the sim. It is the same stuff as when later on in the movie where Ripley's pulling all the cocoon stuff off uh, Newt when she's trapped. You can see right. all the stringing, can't you? It's very... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not too sure exactly what it is, but I think it was called okay. Methosil or something. Okay, well, maybe somebody on Facebook can um, illuminate yeah. us on that one. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move it, Spunkmire. Um, it takes off and, and flies away. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get the bit uh, with the alien um, coming through the door. I've always wondered, how did the alien... You, you hear the noise. The alien opens the door into the cockpit. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I would assume that the door possibly might be just, you know, remote, as in, you know, it's, it's sensor operated. I don't think it pushes a button. Uh, <laughs> it, right. it, yeah, it, yeah. Might, it might do, but... Because <laughs> if it does, then that changes things somewhat, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so she, she she gets hit by the uh, by the alien. Quite subtle, you know, I, I think, you know, the blood on the, on, on, on the window there with the hand moving backwards and forwards. It could have been quite graphic. It could have been more of a... Yeah, you know, yeah, a Parker I, moment. I think it does work because you know you you kind of know if you've seen obviously the other movie, you know what what they're capable of. So I think it works really really well, doesn't it? Like you said, it's it's kind of the sort of suggestion of what's gone on. Yeah, and I think that's still good. Yeah, no, it is, it is good. Um, um, we cut back to uh, the folk down on the ground. We know something's up. They don't, and mm-hmm. but it starts to be conveyed because. The dropship, as it comes towards them, it starts wobbling a bit to the side, doesn't yeah, it? Before it, it hits list, the rock. List to one side, and yeah, Ripley, I think it's Ripley who first decides that the better run. Yeah, see, this is—I was thinking about that run. I wouldn't say run. I, I would say something, yeah, 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 more of an expletive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I saw yeah. that happening rather than run. Um, and 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 then it explodes again. We're going to go into this on behind the scenes, but we have the explosion thing, but. 
I love this. I I, I, I love the fact that uh, it, it explodes via rear projection. You know, you've yeah. obviously got a cinema screen there with the footage being yeah. shown of the miniature exploding, and you've got the actors on a stage with all the uh, the landscape props, you know, either side hiding the side of the screen, and they are acting to something that's happening in front of them. And I think that's absolutely terrific, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, it would have been nice to see what they were seeing on the day, but it, it is so much better than saying, uh, look, here's a blue screen and pretend there's a ship coming towards you. You know, yeah. in, in a way, you're actually seeing what you're seeing. Um, you know, c- coming exactly where it's meant to be. Uh, I know people have criticised, obviously, uh, Prometheus for the fact that when there's this big ship's crashing, you know, people seem to be running perfectly away from it. They do exactly the same. Instead of running left <laughs> and right, they just run... They do. The, yeah. You know, they, in, in theory, they should actually run towards it, you know, because it's going to go overhead. But this it, is very you know, true. But, but that wouldn't make for a good <laughs> sequence, would it? You know, you've, no. you've, you've got to run away. And it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting as well that nobody actually gets killed besides the people in the dropship because of this. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's mentioned in the uh, the novelization, but you don't see it in the movie, but the, the actual dropship does land on top of the APC as well. Yes. And takes the APC out, which means that they've got nowhere even like the APC to resort back no, to. They've got no like, cover at all. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's back to the colony nothing, um, <laughs> you know, because the APC and whatever weapons was left inside. Because I think he does say we managed to salvage this out of the wreckage later on. Mm. Um, assuming the APC, so but you don't, got, you, yeah. don't, you don't physically see the APC get taken out by it, which might have been no. nice. Now, I'll I tell you what is also fantastic in this moment is that you have this rear projection of the dropship coming and everyone scattering, and it's Michael Bean. Michael Bean, the way he's doing that um, um, clambering over the rocks and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always whenever I watch that, I'm always reminded about how he is in the Terminator at the beginning of the Terminator. He, he was quite agile with the way that he could, you know, um, easily, you know, get over all these obstacles, and he, yeah. he he does that brilliantly. Yeah. And then we've obviously got the impact, which is fantastic. And again, that's back to kind of the old, old school sort of Jerry Anderson with the explosions and debris flying everywhere. And you've got you, that, you've got that fantastic sound effect of that kind of piece of pipe landing. Yeah. You know that kind of clang clang, and you know. Andrew, you have just taken like three or four things out of my show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Totally, totally. All right. Well, let's go into behind the scenes and I'll show you where uh, you and I uh, converge. OK. Right. All right. So uh, we're going to behind the scenes. Uh, the dropship original uh, design uh, was by Sid Mead. I guess you know that, don't you? Yeah, uh, I think Cobb did a, a pass it as well, uh, mm. as far as I recall. And uh, I think the thing is, with both of their designs, they were just, you know, from, you know fantastic designs, but just not realistic in terms of like a military vehicle um yeah you know and then i think you know from what i gather is cameron again being a very hands-on bloke he literally glued some sections of helicopter and other pieces together didn't he and plonked it down on the table and said that's what it's going to look like but then had one of those guys go through and flesh it out as such um you know, I think Cam- Cameron's one of these directors, from what I gather, is he, he knows what he wants to start off with. And he likes to kind of then give the other designers a chance to better him. Mm. You know, I think this happened with the Terminator, according to Stan Winston. is I think he handed over a painting of the Terminator, said to Winston and his team, see what you can come up, come up along those lines. They said they tried to and could come up with nothing better than what they were originally given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that was the thing is he probably had this idea of this... Uh, Apache type helicopter ship, um, and see see what they can come up with. And if they can better it, great. They've done a good job, but I don't think they did. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 th- th- this is why I love uh, James Cameron because he he came from an effects background. You know, he was a model maker. You know, he was working in visual effects. So, um, yeah. So fr- fr- from what I see, yeah, yeah. James Cameron came out, out up with an original design. Sid Mead did his interpretation of it. Ron Cobb then did his interpretation of it and it was then just a case of you know a bit from here a bit from there you know yeah, yeah. and and ron cobb has said it was purposely meant to invoke you, you know vietnam and the oh, craft yeah. of the time yeah especially the phantom jet and the huey helicopters yeah 
Um, and, and again, back to the bug stomper art, that was, uh, a, again, another inference back to that time, you know? Yeah, because it, it's hard to sort of forget that um, this was 85, 86 when this was getting made. And when did the Vietnam War finish? About 74, 70? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was, was only eight, 18 or 19 years since that war had finished. It seems such a long time now, but... You know, it, I suppose it was still fairly fresh in the the memory of, uh, especially you know, certainly people living in the states. Yeah, the, in the American psyche, certainly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. You know, it may seem a bit sort of dated to think of it now, but back then it was, yeah. Yeah, um, Peter Lamont, who um, you know, if if you're a Bond fan, you know, yeah. you, you know Peter Lamont. You know, he he worked on an awful lot of the sets and stuff, and he built the full size version. It, it was aluminium over a uh, an aluminium frame with wood over the top um, and he was saying about how the undercarriage was from a Vulcan bomber um, that's, that, that's right yeah yeah they had rented it from a breaker's yard in Norfolk now I'd like I'd love to go to this <laughs> a breaker's yard in Norfolk because yeah. that's the same one that Roger Christian went to yeah, for strip, Star Wars strip, and Alien but, yeah. yeah yeah and and apparently um, you, you know because after you know Star Wars and Alien, you know everyone got cottoned onto this fact of the used universe thing for science fiction films. It drove the price up of uh, scrap aircraft parts, right. you know. And when they actually came to do, I can't remember. It was one of the prequels, but they wanted to do something from the prequels. It was too expensive to buy the bits from England, so they had to ship them over from America because it was that much cheaper. Because right. okay. all these breaker guys, they had that that they, they had whacked all their prices up you know yeah i can't remember what those landing um sort of feet are uh, off that it's from a canberra he said um that the, the landing skids were flares from a canberra apparently right flares i wonder what that i don't know i don't know he said the skids were flares from a canberra right yeah again maybe somebody on facebook can fill us into what they might have actually been originally then it would be good it it would be really good to to do a compare and contrast that this bit off of this vulcan bomber or this canberra plane is this bit (laughs) but i say you then when when you obviously were in cutting them with the miniature according to the uh i mean i suppose to me it's kind of like the bible of this which is the uh the cinefix you know the the cinefix edition is just one full edition on aliens which is fantastic and i think that season it was like a one twelfth scale miniature mm. um and like you said those little kind of rotating lights you know they, they obviously have to rotate at the right speed because they're filming at high speed so they must have been going 10 to the dozen on the actual <laughs> miniature to be to, to be slowed down to look sufficient you know for the for the shots and you know that that's always the thing with miniatures i mean you know you know this from obviously uh you know all, all of the stuff you've read is certain things like uh water and fire and stuff like that are always the hardest things to do mm. uh, but you know this fortunately it hasn't got any of those elements in there so it works so perfectly um you know with the um and, and it's good as well because everybody is kind of on board that ship it's not like they've, they've left kind of crew members on the deck that they've had to blue screen into the miniature i mean yeah. th- th- this is the downside is why would everybody from the Slacko go down to the planet and not leave <laughs> anybody on board yeah 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 you know, that would that be never like, happened in an alien, did it? Yeah, that would be like the equivalent of like you know uh, a, a naval frigate pulling up on the shore and letting everybody go ashore and just leaving the ship floating out <laughs> at sea. You know, there, there, there would be some kind of skeleton crew or some kind of you know a second synthetic left behind. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, that's that's a bit of a quibble. <laughs> Andrew, you're thinking too much. I know. <laughs> I've been warned about that. You're right. Okay, the the, the miniatures, uh, they were overseen by two people you know, um, uh, Bob and Dennis Gotak. Yeah, real heroes of mine, those two. Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're, they're up there in my, in my mind. Um, they're like on the American side, and then I've got, you know, um, Bill Pearson and Martin Bauer. Exactly, yeah. On, they're, on they're, the they're like side. their American cousins, aren't they? Sort of. Yeah. How great would it be if there if there had been a film, you know, sometime in you, you know the late seventies, early eighties, where all like oh, say four yeah. of those guys all combined, you know? Oh, yeah. Maybe on June or something like that. That would have been great, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was just 
that era of kind of when you went to see a film of recognizing these names and you know i could go and uh, you well i remember going to see avatar and you just look at the credits and there's just thousands of names in the visual effects departments yeah. you know digital this digital that and and you know that was back in the day when you could sit in the credits and go oh brian johnson and the scotak brothers and mark yeah, yeah, bauer yeah. and bill pearson and Derek Phil Medding. Ray and all that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And spot these names and know exactly who that was because you've read interviews of them, you've seen pictures of them. But these days, it, it just lost me as to who, <laughs> who was in charge of visual effects anymore because there just seems to be so many people involved now. You know, it's such an industry, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. I haven't got that personal connection with it anymore like I used to with, you know, watching kind of who, who were my heroes. Yeah. And I, I think this film, I mean, we're getting quite near. I mean, we're in the mid 80s. We're moving towards the 90s. And so we're getting slowly towards the CGI. But you're you're talking about people who are doing miniature work, which, you know, has a heritage going back, you know, mm. 10, 20, 30 years before. Yeah. So, you know, and, and this is what I was just about to talk about, about, you know, the actual flying down of the dropship, you know, to do the dust off. Um, they were using techniques, i.e. flying them on piano wire, which Derek Meddings and his crew were doing on the Jerry Anderson, Anderson shows yeah. in the early 60s. You know, here we are 20 years later, and the technique that they're using is exactly the same thing, isn't it? You're talking even earlier, you're talking back to the Lydecker brothers, who were the mm-hmm. uh, Skordak brothers were massive fans of. They used to do the shows like King of the Rocket Men. Yeah, um, you know, and they used to fly miniatures all the time, and you know they had what was called the Lydecker rig, um, and you know I've, I think the Scotak brothers have actually done uh, a documentary about these guys, and they said they're the real inspiration. You know, some of the finest wire work in the oldest movies back in the 30s and 40s, mm. um, and yeah, he said just using exactly the same techniques and just hiding the wires inventively with lighting, with smoke. Uh, you know, dust, dusting it off with powder paint just to kind of like, you know, try and, um, you know, dull them down. Mm. Uh, and and a lot of these special effects still hold up today. And I've mm. seen stuff that was done in the last 10 years that's dated worse than this. You know. See, I, I, I never like uh, mentioning the prequels of Star Wars, but the one of the main problems I've got with the prequels of Star Wars is because it's all CGI, the camera work is doing things that are not physically possible. Yeah, you know, yeah. The whole point about watching a film is you as a viewer are meant to believe that you're there watching that and doing that. And But the camera work is doing things that are just insane and it's just not possible and it defies the laws of physics, you know? Yeah. So when, when you have something like this, which is in camera you know, as you say, very cleverly hidden, but it is a physical effect happening in camera, your mind registers it and believes it far more, doesn't it? I think it's Brian Johnson says in an interview, who obviously did the motion control work with this, I think he, when he went to see the aviator, he said there's a sequence where the camera appears to fly straight through the front of the plane, almost through DiCaprio's head and out the back of the plane. And he said it just takes you out the sequence because you think, what? what happened there that's not possible yeah you know and it, it it is like sort of almost like you know if this was done now the camera would probably fly in you'd see pharaoh's face in the cockpit it would pull back out it would probably you know it would be doing camera moves that aren't physically possible to do and it'll go into slow motion as it explodes and all this sort of nonsense yeah and, and like you said this is almost documentary kind of guerrilla style filmmaking you know the handheld shots of the dropship going through the clouds feel like you, you you're possibly in an, another vehicle like a helicopter filming yeah you know and it's shaking and you know that that's what's so good about it it, it feels like you know a real thing and, yeah. st- and like and you th- said it still holds up after all these years absolutely and and you know the crash when it happens it, it it's got that much more impact i mean if you watch a crash of you know a car crash or something like that and it's in slow motion Mm. It's not the same as watching it in real time because yeah. it is quite shocking because it is like that and it's just happened and it, yeah. all the bits have flown off, you know. Yeah. And that they obviously understood this. James Cameron and co, they absolutely understood this, you know. And it's, it's sequences such as when the dropship actually dusts off. It's like, you know, if you watch the documentary, they mention about how they did this all forced perspective trick of having the large size APC in the foreground but the smaller size dropship in the background. 
you know, getting lifted away, and it just works so well. It's yeah. it's, it's such a low angle of the of the the track the vehicles driving down. It works. Yeah, as, it works. Perfectly. Yeah, as, uh, yeah, as you said earlier, that the APC a, a, a lot of the miniature uh, works uh, were one twelfth scale. Yeah. So the drop ship in that scene where it does the dust off and you see the APC moving uh, APC moving away and it and it takes back off again, the drop ship is one twelfth scale. But the APC at the front is one fifth scale, yeah. much nearer the camera. But they've lined it up Perfect. in camera yeah. perfectly, so it looks like it, you know. Yeah. And that, that, that's what I love about it. I mean, they are using techniques that go back, you know, to you, you, you know, almost you, you know, pre-sound film that yeah. you could do. Melier was yeah. doing stuff like this, where you've got forced perspective with different scales, and you composite to get together in the camera and line everything up and everything works yeah. you know it's just that brilliant again if you watch a documentary you know there's, there's obviously numerous takes where you know they're trying to get it to lift off and you know the wires are twisting or it's just swinging in the wind because they've got smoke machines and they've got you know wind machines and there's, there's rain coming down uh, but you know when it it works it's spot on you know when when you get the, the take that is is good yeah it looks brilliant yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that they've said it took, you know, multiple takes to actually get it right, and obviously they use the best one. Yeah. Um, but and it looks brilliant. The um, the explosion. Did you see about John Richardson um, overseeing the uh, the actual crash? Right. Um, when the dropship actually crashes, there are actually like four or five explosions, one after the other. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of comes along the length doesn't it almost of the uh, the drop ship really yeah yeah and again it's i don't think there's any shots like in the sequence where you think oh there's there's one of the wires i can see one of the wires uh, mm. that just seems so well hidden uh you know these these days um if it was the wire was visible i could digitally remove it but they're just so, yeah just well done um but one, you, one, you... One, Sorry, I was going to say what one thing about you said about the rear screen in this sequence, which has really pleased me in some recent movies. Uh, I think I first noticed it in Oblivion, and it certainly happened in the uh, in Rogue One. Is where they're using now large scale, high definition digital rear screens, actually in shots, and in the sequences in Rogue One where they're actually viewing out the Death Star window. If you watch the documentaries, mm. it's actually physically what they're looking at is there. Yeah, when ships are jumping to hyperspace now, they've they've got rear screens, so you've actually got that physical thing. Now, if you could do the dropship explosion now again, without a projected rear screen, but a digital rear screen, large, mm. you know, four K resolution or eight K resolution screen with brighter color, brighter resolution, that would look so good these days. But they wouldn't these days. They wouldn't think about marrying the two techniques mm, mm. um you know cameron did so much good with, with the rear screen you know the, the ripley going down in the elevator again rear screen shot uh, but we tried to hide that illusion with smoke and with with steam and with flashing lights but you know they, these days they could do the same technique but using digital rear screen you know where where the actual actor is stood watching what is going on yeah, and it's so much better for the actor to physically see what they're looking at. I'm sure they that they would appreciate it. I mean, I, I, again, I've gone back to the prequels, <laughs> Star Wars again. I think an awful lot of the failings in in that is the fact that the actors they couldn't see anything. They were in a blooming green set with with nothing to act to. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even in movies like Firefox, uh, you know, I think they had a, a rig set up so all of the the, the cockpit stuff, um, there was a, a thing projected around Clint Eastwood, so the reflections were actually happening in the visor and mm. in, in the cockpit glass, and that just adds so much more to the sequence. And you know, it's a similar sort and it of deal. helps the actor. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a similar deal with this. You know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the stuff that's going on is ha actually happening in front of them, so it's so much better. Yeah. Uh, than, like you said, than just saying, look, you know, uh, you know, here you are, you're on a piece of dirt and there's a blue screen. Run away, we'll add all the landscaping, we'll add the shipping, yeah. we'll add everything in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell you what, um, it, it's a shame. I, I, I've never, I don't know if you've seen it, Andrew, but I've never been able to see th th this sequence of the dropship crash where you've got the actors, you know, acting in front of a rear screen. 
I, um, I I would like to see, you know, a camera off to one side so you could actually see, you know, yeah, yeah. what it would look like. But I've never been able to find it. Yeah, because the, the thing with rear screen, obviously, back then it was 35 mil and you're projecting from behind and you've obviously got the studio light. So you think logically you would have ramped up the brightness behind mm. to try and compensate for the studio lights. Um, but like you said, you it would be nice to say just have that camera off at the forty-five degree angle, yeah, f- f- showing this, you know, as as it looked to to Cameron, I suppose, you know, and uh, the other crew members. Just so you can see the screen frame, maybe even the projector behind the screen, just some setup while they're setting it up before they actually started the filming. Yeah. But you know, as good as the extras are on the Blu-ray, um, it's not there, and it's such a shame. Yeah, there's nothing in the cine effects. I'm just flicking through now uh, just to have a, a look to see if there's anything, but uh, there's certainly nothing in the cine effects. No. There and uh, there was the Alien Archive book as well, which I don't think had anything covered. No, 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 no. I've I've got that. No, um, that's the problem with that Alien Archive book is you know it it it's very Alien heavy, but not yeah. hardware heavy. If you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I say you know the, the, to anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't got the the Cinefix, it's probably quite hard to come by. But they did a a special effects book, didn't the Cinefix? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It, it covered the yeah. first three movies and they reprinted. Yeah. Now, the bizarre thing is, the Alien one especially, is some of the pages are very, very badly reproduced, almost like photostats. I was just about to say that very thing. I, I, I remember buying that. It's like, oh, great, I've got, I've got all the Alien, you know, uh, Cinefexes collected in one. And, and it is. It's like photocopies. Yeah, it the, really is. There's a page here I'm looking at, page 48, where it's got the miniature of the Salak, uh, sorry, of the Narcissus. And the uh, the miniature of the um, um, the recovery ship it drifts into, and it's it's literally like a black and white photocopy. Yeah. And you yeah. think surely the people at Cinefix must have had a better version lying around in the studio. To and t- this is Cinefix. Cinefix yeah. knows that their audience are the people who appreciate and will devi- devour any you know um, photo. You yeah. Know? I, mean, I mean, I've been really, really fortunate because I got the Cinefix when it first came out in '86, and then um, about a year later, um, the, the lad who used to go in the comic shop of, um, he said to me one day, he said, "Oh, I've got uh, some more Cinefixes in the, the Aliens edition." He said, "Apparently, there was a warehouse find." And uh, I said straight away, I said, yeah, I'll have another one, no problem. So I've got a a reading copy, and then I've got like a a keeping copy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I got a second edition, you know, well over. Oh, you fanboy. Yeah, well over a year later. And then when (laughs) when this book came along, I thought, well, I'll have have that as well, you know. But that was back in the day when, you know, Cinefix, again, was my Bible because, you know, the Return of the Jedi and Aliens and the Abyss, it was an edition devoted to one movie. I've just yeah, yeah, I've yeah. just picked up Cinefix yesterday, and this might be the last time I pick it up. And it's Kong of Skull Island, Logan, a Cure for Wellness, and the Great Wall. And I literally just thumb through it, but I've put it to one side, and I'm thinking, why am I still buying Cinefix? Because how I, much is it now? I think it was about eight ninety nine, nine ninety nine. They've actually changed the cover; it's actually got glossy cover now. It feels weird. Right. Um, but I just look through and there's nothing in there where I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, they've used miniatures. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm, buying, yeah, it. See, I'm buying it out of habit. Yeah. See, I stopped that habit ages ago because what I decided, I'm not going to buy it anymore. If there's a film that I'm, I'm suitably impressed by, I'll buy the art of book because most films now, you know, have an art, you have an art of book yeah, and I'll get yeah, that rather yeah. than the Cinefix, you know? Yeah. Like you said, this probably will be my last time i am actually sort of like you know just thinking it's it comes out bi-monthly now if you know that's in effects no yeah no, no, yeah no. it started going bi-monthly about sort of uh, several editions ago um you know it was obviously quarterly f- from its from its off but now it's bi-monthly okay uh, so but there's been nothing even even sort of recent films i've enjoyed like rogue one again i just looked through and thought mm, there's nothing in there really to to sort of thrill me yeah, but are, are you like me, Andrew, in the, you know, because now it, pretty much everything is CGI, you don't really want to read about how they CGI'd it. You want to look at the pictures, you know. So, therefore, an art of book is better than a book that's mainly text telling you about how they did something 
um, digitally. Yeah, I, I don't know if you you recall this, uh, but it might be quite interesting to put them up on your Facebook page, but I don't know if you remember, but I did a series of kind of what-if Cinefix covers uh, a few years ago, and um, I, I did sort of movie because Cinefix actually, it failed to cover a lot of major movies. It never covered mm. any of the Superman movies at all. Mm. None, none of them were covered by Cinefix. Battle Beyond the Stars and movies like that were never covered. And I always mm. thought Cinefix should go back now and do some retro editions. That would be cool. You know, if half of the if half of Cinefix was covering movies they never did at the time, they never did Close Encounters at the third kind at mm. the time. They picked up on the special edition um for a small article and I think they might have picked up later on as a retrospect with possibly somebody like Doug Trumbull. But it was mm. never covered at the time, and I did a whole series of covers, mock-up covers of editions that should have been. And the thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, was never covered in Cinefix. You know, there's miniature work, there's matte work, there's fabulous prosthetics work was never covered. Mm. And, um, you know, I should... No, it, it was in... Um, what was Cine it? Fantastique. Cine Fantastique. That, that, that's a brilliant issue. Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. but, you know... Uh, Anyway, so I should put these covers on your on your page to let people see. Because yeah, please do. I mean, look, look, you know, I think, it... I think I put them on practical effects script, and the amount of people were saying, "Wow, I haven't got that edition." And people kept saying, <laughs> "Read the headline; these weren't made. They were the mock." See if if Cinefix did half half of their issue was a look back at something, you know, to traditional model making and effects work. I yeah. would still be buying it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that, totally. That, that's what you need is you, you need somebody, um, you know, to kind of say, let's start going back to people like the Scortak brothers and getting them to go through their archives of movies like yeah. Aliens yeah. and things like that and dragging out pictures, which, you know, they, these people have probably got folders full of photographs that have never seen the light of day still. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, I always remember a story a friend of mine told me when he met uh, Gary Kurtz at the Star Wars uh, convention, and Kurtz said he's got his own personal library of photographs, and he said many of those have never, ever been published. But they, really? they were just snapshots, snapshots he actually took, just you know, personally walking around the set. And I bet you, you know, you, you look at this, and there's people like Brian Johnson, the Scortak brothers, you've got people like John Richardson... You've got other model makers, you know, who were probably just, you know, nobodies at the time. Who probably just had their own Polaroid camera yeah. and just took a few snapshots on the day. And they probably just shoved in the drawer the negatives of just gathering dust. You know, there's probably an archive out there of, like, lost alien and aliens, you know, photographs. But, and folk would lap them up now, wouldn't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I see. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd like to see a second edition devoted to the special effects of aliens, just purely yeah. things that we've never seen before. New interviews, people looking back like we're looking back now, talking about, you know, does it still hold up? You yeah. Know, uh, you know what? What? You know, did you genuinely have as good a time as you said you did? On, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or in hindsight, was it a complete nightmare? You know, because you, you do get these. Uh, yeah, what what did you really think when you were told um, your yellow Nostromo had to be sprayed grey, yeah. you know, I, and the spires were chopped off? <laughs> I think it's why so many of these DVDs and Blu-ray commentaries now have this thing about, you know, the uh, the opinions and not that. Yeah. Sorry, because, you know, it, it is sometimes nice to maybe say, well, yeah, Cameron was a complete nightmare to work for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> you know, and, and no, no one's going to sue them anymore because it's so much after the time. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it it would be great to see that. You know, get get some, you know, opinions of what people genuinely thought of, you know, the shooting and uh, yeah. Where, where have some of these miniatures gone? Again, I know these Salakos in Bob Burns's collection. I yeah. think the dropship might be in his collection. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but there's other things like the, um, you know, the 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 one twelfth scale hanger was it just chucked in a skip? Did people keep some of it? Mm. Um, you know, it would be great to find out where, whether some of this stuff still exists. So, you know, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. We'll have to look into it. Yeah, that must yeah. be so disheartening, though, mustn't it? Just having to take a, a bulldoze at the stuff and just get rid of it. Mm. It must be bad. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's move. We went, we, we, we went the, off on a tangent there again. We did a bit there. Yeah, let's get back on track. Um, um, so uh, we always end the show with a rating. So, um, you, you know, could I have a rating from you there, please, Andrew? This is for the dropship, you know, in its entirety, the first scene, the second scene, 
And um, yeah, out of ten, please. I've got to give it a ten out of ten because you know, f- from my memories of sitting in the cinema on the day to watching it last time I watched it on Blu-ray, besides watching it for this, it's just a thrill ride, and it's just you know, you just you just caught up in it. You know, there's there's nothing in it that slows the pacing down. You just caught up in those sequences. So as a sequence, it's definitely a ten out of ten for me. Okay. Um. Um. Yeah. I mean. Everything we've been talking about today, you know, about the, how it harks back to the old uh, Derek Meddings work and everything. It, it was just thrilling to see old school, you know, uh, film work mm. up there yeah. on, uh, um, on on the screen there. Um, I'm not going to be as generous as you. I'll give it a nine. Right. OK, so that gives it a uh, an average of nine and a half. Yeah. If if it was a mark on sort of the technical level, if it was we were purely looking at technical, yeah, like we've said, some some shots work still, and there's a couple of composite shots which don't. But I'm willing to overlook those in terms of the context of the whole sequence as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, which I think you have to really. I mean, you know, I, there's there's probably very few movies of this sort of period where you could say 100%, you know, hand on heart that everything worked technically, mm. uh, because you know even the greatest movies, even as you know, films like 2001: Space Odyssey, there's shots that work and there's shots that don't hold up as good as they probably should. Mm. But you've got to just overlook these facts, haven't you? Mm. Um, you know, um, and and take it as just part of the whole sequence. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say it was a ten because it, I, I I love Alien and Aliens as much as each other, but for different reasons. You know, yeah. they're both ten, yeah, they're yeah, both yeah. ten out of tens for me, but. You know, I can see, you know, if it was a case of someone held them up and said, you can only watch one ever again, you know, like a desert island thing, Hmm. I would be hard pushed to sort of say which one I would take. Because in one respect, you think I want to be thrilled and I want to be into the action. So I would take Aliens. But in another way, Alien is so much more of a beautiful movie in terms of its quality and its atmosphere. So I would really be torn. You know, I would have to probably say, look, you know, somebody else flip a coin or you decide. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I totally agree. I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't know which, if I had to choose one, because, you know, you you love them for completely different Dif- reasons. Different reasons, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing we didn't mention, actually, about Aliens, which... Um, you know, it's an interesting fact was this thing about when Cameron first handed over the script to Fox. And I think the studio analyst read through it and they obviously break it down into, you know, sets and sequences. And I think they came back and said to Cameron uh, and Fox from Fox, I would probably budget around about 32 million. And Cameron said, I can make it for less than that. First of all, he, he he shot this in um, you know widescreen instead of cinemascope, which reduces yeah. you know yeah. the anamorphic, so it reduces it. But he just knew in his head what he could shoot live action and what he could shoot as real world miniatures without opticals, and what you know. And I think he ended up did it come in at around about nineteen million budget, something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So he stripped back about ten million off the budget for them, which must have made him seem like an absolute hero in their eyes <laughs> to, 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 to make what should have been, you know, more expensive, cheaper. But, you know, this, this was back in the days when uh, Gail Ann Hurd calls James Cameron on the documentary a no-waste filmmaker, you know, mm. and he, he was back then. You know, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Alien, uh, sorry, Aliens and Terminator were no-waste films. It wasn't until he got to the abyss when he started really pumping up the budgets uh, and I mean, you know, again, Abyss is a, a fantastic landmark in special effects, but you know, his films progressively got more expensive. Mm. You know, and I think True Lies was even more expensive, and you know, Terminator Two was one of the most expensive films ever made, and then Titanic, and Titanic then, was the most yeah, expensive then, film then, ever then, made. Then Avatar, <laughs> and, um, but you know, as, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Avatar, he he kept that sensibility in his design work. Those um, vehicles that fly around in Avatar are the the the, the next step up from the dropship. They certainly are. Yeah. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I I always thought, oh my, you know, if if I could only see those vehicles from Avatar in an Aliens sequel, where they're on mass fighting the aliens, you know, mm. um, as as an actual war, they would have been immense. But uh, 
yeah, it, Avatar's one of those films I've got a real love-hate with it. I love elements of it and hate other parts of it, but mm. uh, you can't deny Cameron is always pushing, you know, the design side of stuff. He's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, got, yeah. he's, 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 he's like Scott. He's, he's got an artistic background. He's got such an eye for design that you're never going to see anything in his movies where you're thinking, what was he thinking there? Design-wise, I think he's got a great eye for design, and that's why I think he can bring these movies in and make them work. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's many a story of a director who hasn't got a clue what he wants design-wise because yeah. he's got no knowledge of it. No, I totally agree with you, Andrew. And I think... From everything you said there, how about next time um, uh, we meet up on this show, let's go backwards in time uh, with Mr. Cameron. Do you fancy doing a Battle Beyond the Stars? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Another right. one of my favourites. So, yeah, we'll go, we'll, okay. we'll go back and go old school. Let's go even more <laughs> old school than Aliens, OK? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for, for, for your time today, Andrew. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. All right. Cheers, matey. Yeah, all right. And to be continued. Yeah, take care. See you later. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.